Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part two of the acute abdomen. And again, as I commented, we're going to be doing a few select topics. And I started last time on the spleen, and that's where I'm going to pick it up. And um, I was left off last time looking at splenic abscesses, and uh, splenic abscesses indeed are rare. They're usually in select patients, immunosuppressed patients, IV drug addicts, or two of the common people will think about. Typically, it's a low-density lesion, often with rim enhancement. And about 20% of abscesses you see air. Remember, liver abscesses less than 10%. This also means that in 80% of cases, you will not see air. So if you wait to see air in a splenic abscess, you will miss 80% of the lesions. At times, the diagnosis is simple with the right history. Other times, it's difficult. It can simulate a cystic tumor. It can simulate an infarct. Also, remember, infarcts become abscesses. It can simulate old hemorrhage. And it can simulate an infiltrating process like lymphoma. Here's a nice example of a splenic abscess, but again, big spleen, think about lymphoma, but patients febrile, you got to be thinking abscess, and surely the next case is much easier. The spleen is modeled in enhancement, perisplenic fluid, intrasplenic fluid, and air bubbles. That makes life very, very simple. Now, in immunosuppressed patients, we see lots of bone marrow transplant patients. Tiny lesions in the spleen, often kidney, often liver. Got to think about fungal infection. Here was a case of candidiasis. Probably more, more commonly at times will be aspergillosis. Candida is the most classic one, but aspergillosis can look very similar. I show you these cases noting that the lesions are very small, a couple millimeters in size. Uh, there are many things that give you multiple splenic lesions. Here's one of those cases, and uh, you can see in the axial and coronal images, multiple splenic lesions. You got to think lymphoma maybe metastatic melanoma. This was sarcoidosis. I see a couple cases every year where the only finding is multiple splenic lesions and it ends up being sarcoidosis. So a very, very important uh, diagnosis. Now, one of the other things we see in the spleen, and it does relate to infection, is uh, calcification. And it's probably most common in granulomatous disease, splenic calcifications, hepatic calcifications, these little punctate calcifications. You also can see in infarction, and we always think about sickle cell disease as a classic example of autoinfarction. Old hematomas can calcify. Mucinous metastasis to the spleen can calcify. In the old days, thoratrast was deposited in RE cells, so made the spleen incredibly dense or incredibly white. And in those rare cases of hydatid disease where you do have rim calcification, the spleen is one of those areas. And here's just one nice example. Look at the multiple punctate calcifications in the liver, in the spleen. Classic granulomas disease. You argue, is it TB? Is it histoplasmosis? This was histoplasmosis. And one more example in the cirrhotic liver, multiple tiny calcifications consistent with prior granulomas disease. I mentioned before that patients with old trauma can have splenic calcifications. You can have a cyst or an old hematoma with rim calcification. You can have scarring of the surface of the spleen. And here's just a few nice examples showing you the appearance of uh, these uh, calcifications along the rim. So very classic. Again, you're not going to confuse this with an acute process. Now, that's the spleen. I always put in, when I speak about the spleen, I always like to throw the adrenal in there because a number of times I've seen patients sent to us for splenic pathology or suspected splenic pathology and it's adrenal pathology. Now there are many things in the adrenal. Adenomas we say 7 to 10% of patients have. There's METs, there's primary tumors. Think of FEO, hypertensive patient, the acute setting, think of FEO. But 
I want to speak to you about hemorrhage, and hemorrhage is an interesting thing. We diagnose it a few times a year, but it's a diagnosis that's not expected. So here's a patient, oncology patient, doing poorly bilateral adrenal hemorrhage, round to oval adrenals bilateral with high density. Well, what happens with bilateral hemorrhage? You become, you have adrenal insufficiency, you become Addisonian, and you could die. CT makes the diagnosis. Another example, ICU patient, benign tumor from the brain removed, bilateral high-density adrenal glands, classic adrenal hemorrhage. Another example, round adrenals, high-density, non-contrast CT. When it's bilateral, it's particularly concerning. Now, in saying that, I just want to make the comment that occasionally it will be unilateral with trauma, with surgery, but also presenting with metastasis. This is a great case of a patient who presented with adrenal mets. And the first presentation with right upper quadrant pain, acute abdomen, and it was hemorrhage in the adrenal. So again, something to think about. And I thought I would throw it in here as sort of a segue between the spleen and the bowel. And just something good to remember. And in fact, I had a case a couple of weeks ago, literally we're doing a PE study, no PE, but the adrenal was large, high density, the very edge of the film, very low scan. Sure enough, I looked at a scan from a month before, the adrenal was normal, it was adrenal hemorrhage, but fortunately, it was unilateral. Let's now take a look at the bowel, and we can spend hours on the bowel looking at the acute abdomen, but I, I won't spend hours, but let me spend a little bit of time um, looking at the bowel. So the first thing we can talk about is just the importance of uh, CT in the evaluation of bowel pathology. And so, for example, um, let's look at some quotes. Here's a quote. MDCT with 3D imaging can offer a full exam of the small bowel as well as powerful information about the bowel and its surrounding structures. And the other quote from that article, in most cases of small bowel disease, Various 3D technologies can help radiologists make it easy, rapid, and accurate diagnosis while avoiding unnecessary exams. So we started this acute abdomen talk last time speaking about how we need to look beyond the axial plane. Well, what I'm saying to you is in the small bowel, this is especially true. And I'll show you examples of that where it's very helpful. So let's look at a few things in bowel. Let's first talk about ischemia. Talk about ischemia, it's a common diagnosis or suspected diagnosis, particularly now with an aging population. We could think about arterial disease, which is occlusion, maybe due to atherosclerosis or emboli, or even trauma, or venous disease due to venous thrombosis, portal hypertension, or estrogen use. Those are some common uh, possibilities. When you speak about the CT appearance of ischemic bowel, there's a range. The, the most uh, obvious is if you have portal venous gas or gas in some of the mesenteric uh, vessels, but at that point, very high morbidity, very high mortality. On the flip side, there's simply bowel dilatation. And again, bowel dilatation is so nonspecific, you can't be calling everybody ischemic bowel. And then in between, you can see we go to bowel wall thickening, mesenteric veins get dilated, there's edema in the mesenteric fat, and there may be intramural gas, pneumatosis. So it's a spectrum, but even more than bowel thickening, we're going to look at bowel enhancement, and I'm going to show you how we can use those findings. So one of the things we do with bowel ischemia, or suspected bowel ischemia, or in many of our cases of dedicated small bowel exams, we do dual phase imaging with 3D mapping. We use water as a contrast agent, about 100 to 120 cc's of Omni 350. 
And you can see in this example, look at this very nice thrombus in the patient's SMA. The SMA has a better than 80% proximal stenosis. And you can see as we rotate through a number of 3D views, how nicely you can see the clot. Yes, you can see the clot on the axial images, but it's very, very easy to miss. Now, one of the things we look at besides the vessels, and the sagittal view is something that's optimal for the vessel, is of course we look at the bowel. In this case, what bothers me is that this was a good injection, but look how poorly the bowel is enhancing. And then if you look a bit closer on the coronal view, there may be some pneumatosis. And sure enough, on the sagittal view, look at the occlusion in the patient's SMA. This patient went to surgery, bowel was resected, and SMA clot was removed. And here's the patient a, few, a week later, basically, when now the vessel is perfectly patent. So you can see the CT axial images. In this case, the lesion was missed. It's obvious on the 3D. Or in this next patient, look at that occlusion of the SMA. Look how nice the SMA looks proximally. And that can really trick you. You see the proximal SMA on the axials. That's it. You got to look more distally. And here you see the thrombus, you see the thickened bowel, you see the haziness around the bowel. This is early ischemia. Patient went to surgery, the clot was removed, and the patient did fine. They did not need to resect bowel. With bowel, there's a spectrum. You can see this case, bowel wall thickening, multiple loops, symmetric thickening, low density around the mucosa, this so-called submucosal edema. We can see bowel ischemia. You can see it in cross-section or lengthwise, as in this case. You can see dilated bowel proximal to an area of ischemia. Remember, ischemic bowel may not contract as well, and so you can cause a partial obstruction. You can see in this example the edema of the bowel wall. This is a patient with lupus. Not uncommon to see ascites. Again, we look at the mesenteric vessels, but the mesenteric vessels are not always involved. Now, one of the things we've seen at 16, but better at 64, it's not just looking at bowel wall thickening, but at bowel enhancement. Look at those multiple small bowel loops we have in cross-section. You see how the vessels to them appear prominent? But that's especially understandable when you look at the 3D views. Now what you're seeing is the bowel being abnormal looking, but look at that hyper-enhancement. So what you're getting is hyperemia or white bowel. That's one of the things you can see with ischemia. It's much more obvious on this 3D display or on these coronal displays or 3D maps how much the bowel is abnormal in terms of its enhancement, its increased enhancement, how irregular the folds look. And you can see the vessels to the bowel are patent, but the bowel is really markedly edematous with this abnormal brisk enhancement. Another example, look at this case. Look at the abnormal enhancement of bowel. Also, the fold pattern of small bowel is abnormal, and I'll show you that in a few more cutaway views. But you really understand increased bowel enhancement, loss of features, maybe lots of fluid in the bowel, maybe obstruction, but again, a very classic appearance. And I want you to look at the different images. Again, you also can see some prominent vessels, and I'll come back to that. But we have the prominent vessels adjacent to the bowel. That indeed becomes a very, very important finding is that hyperemia. Now, we talk about ischemia due to vascular disease. We also should mention ischemia can be due to tumors. Carcinoid tumor, which causes a vascular issue. It causes a desmoplastic reaction. You see the occlusion or near occlusion of portal vein and SMA, and you see the very large mesenteric mass and the desmoplastic reaction with collaterals. You notice the small bowel is increased enhancement, 
and this makes you worry about ischemia, and here's another set of those images. So again, not only can we pick up ischemia, see the changes in bowel, but also determine its cause, whether it's vascular or maybe due to tumor. Now, I mentioned before about looking at things in different planes, and that's what I've been doing to you. I've been showing you a bunch of coronal images, be it coronal or be it 3D imaging, and the thing about it is you see the vessels better, you see the desmoplastic reaction better, you see the bowel better, and this article by Yag Hama said that fewer images to review in the coronal plane, so maybe this will help our workflow, and also that uh, we can uh, potentially substitute for coronal, uh, we can substitute coronal for axials, and things will be a lot better. So again, I'm bringing that up because I'm going to show you some more examples. Look at this case, beautiful example, unfortunately, of extensive pneumatosis, small bowel and large bowel, another set of views. This is infarcted bowel. There is no mistake. There can be benign cause of pneumatosis, but this is now one of them. Uh, very extensive disease. This was infarcted bowel. Now, I read an article a few weeks ago, and I'm going to share that with you in a bit more detail than maybe you want, but... One of the things someone mentioned to me, Karen Horton mentioned the other week, was saying, gee, we seem to see pneumatosis much more commonly these days. And maybe it's because we do more CT, but here was an article just published in June, uh, AJR. Frequency of pneumatosis appears to be increasing. Maybe it's due to increased use of CT, but also new medications and surgical procedures have been reported to be associated with increased the incidence of pneumatosis. So what's pneumatosis? Well, it's air in the bowel wall. Well, what's the CT appearance? Low-density, linear, a bubbly pattern of gas in the bowel wall, which may be a benign finding or life-threatening. Particularly when it's bubbly, you think about life-threatening causes. I make the point always, if you want to see pneumatosis, at times you need to use lung windows. You can see beautiful pneumatosis, right colon in this case, on the lung windows. And if you compare soft tissue windows versus those lung windows, you can see how on just routine soft tissue images, unless you adjust the windows, it's very easy to walk by what indeed is very obvious pneumatosis. So it's a very important finding. If you're thinking about pneumatosis, just scroll at lung windows. Now, one of the things in terms of this article I mentioned is that they gave you a laundry list of different things. And let me just go through some of them. They're benign cause of pneumatosis. And they're malignant cause of pneumatosis. Well, simply the benign are more common. There's a range of them from pulmonary to systemic diseases, intestinal causes, idiopathic. And I'll break that up a little bit more from the article. Pulmonary causes including asthma and emphysema and CF. There are benign causes in systemic diseases like lupus, AIDS, and scleroderma. Certain medications including corticosteroids or sorbitol. There are patients for post-organ transplant, so it's not that uncommon. And I had a case yesterday of a renal transplant recipient with pneumatosis of the right colon. Um, but there are also life-threatening causes. Ischemia is the one I worry about. So it's very important to me, what you really have to be careful about is just not blowing off pneumatosis. I want to make sure there's nothing going on. Sometimes I'll say, look, the bowel looks good beyond the pneumatosis. There's no mesenteric inflammation. The vessels look good. I don't see anything, but just make sure there's no elevated lactic acid or something else. So again, you want to be very careful, but we are seeing benign pneumatosis more commonly than we ever have. So it's something to be aware of and something you're going to see a lot of. 
Now the next thing in small bowel that I want to speak about in terms of the acute abdomen will be small bowel bleeding. But let me speak about that in the third part of this series. Thank you very much.